So this week is going to be a little different. No intro, no music, no outro. It is me talking to Danielle Bunch, a former Texas theater educator, and Sammy McManus, who has been on the podcast before and is a current Texas theater educator. Uh, Danielle is now out in San Diego doing her thing out there and still as an educator, and she'll talk about that. And Sammy is still in the Houston area as an educator as well, high school theater educator. This conversation was necessary for a lot of reasons, and I don't need to get into all of them, but one of the main reasons I wanted to discuss Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement with them is because they're putting forth a document of stories that hopefully turn into something that is in the fine arts, in the world of theater, that is helping move this unfortunate time that we are living in along to a positive ending and a positive outcome. Because let's be honest, it's 2020, and there are a lot of people in this world that thought in 1968 we were all done with racism and uh, you know a civil rights movement, and those people are clearly not black um, and ignorant and maybe even naive to it. But we are still in this, and uh, I am not in it. A lot of my listeners are not in it, and a lot of theater teachers are not in it, but we have a lot of students. There are theater teachers in it. I can name a few that I've already reached out to in hopes that they know that I'm here for them and I support them 100%. But this is something that unfortunately is not going away and should have never even started because civil rights or just human rights being able to live without fear of being killed by somebody that's supposed to protect you is not something that we should have ever had a problem with. So I'm going to stop talking and just get to the interview portion of this. Again, it's Sammy McManus, Samantha McManus, Sam McManus, whatever you want to call her. Uh, She runs Firecracker Production. She is the founder. She operates a CFO, CEO, CPO, C3PO, whatever you want to call her. And Danielle Bunch, who is a huge part of Firecracker Productions, and you can follow them uh, on all their social media accounts, and I will put those in the description. I will also put in the link to the tiny URL that uh, Sammy is is pushing. Sammy and Danielle are both pushing this, but I will put that in the link as well. I highly recommend that you look at this. I highly recommend everybody educate themselves. I know for a fact that I have listeners out there that are all lives matters type of people and uh, you're allowed to be a listener and, and that's, that's okay to be a listener. But what you need to know is that this saying that all lives matter once black lives matter. If you don't understand what that means, read up on it because you can't say that all lives matter until black lives matter. I hope everybody gets something out of this. Uh, I apologize for it being kind of somber, but it is something that needs to be done, something that needs to be said. Is minor wisdom going to change the world? Absolutely not. But if it hits one person, if it helps one person, it's one more than uh, than when I started this whole thing. So everybody enjoy this uh, really deep, kind of uh, intense 
conversation with Sammy McManus and Danielle Bunch. I wanted to talk to the two of you girls because I know through the world of theater and fine arts and just uh, kind of just, yeah, the arts in general and life, uh, I know you guys have some opinions, some strong opinions that have to do with kind of this niche area that uh, need to be made addressed and are, excuse me, are also sensitive and that there are some educators out there that might think they're being sensitive, might think that they're being proactive and really what they're doing is not maybe not doing much or even hurting the cause by uh, not making the smarter decisions, um, even though they feel they're making the smarter decisions. So ladies, if you want to say a couple things. Sure. So I'm Sammy. Um, I am the founder and executive director of Firecracker Productions, which is a nonprofit theater in Houston. Um, and I am a white woman. I grew up with privilege and I grew up being made aware of my privilege by my parents. So I think I'm kind of lucky in that way. I am um, also surrounded by women and people in general that hold me and hold Firecracker accountable and diversity in terms of race and gender um, okay. in, in our actors and in our shows is something that we try to keep at the forefront of our discussions. And so it just seemed natural to me whenever um, all the protesting really started last week with the death of George Floyd, that I wanted to try to do something, but as a white person, I didn't really know what would be the best way to go about it. So I, I reached out to Danielle, obviously, and I also reached out to um, Destiny and to uh, Anna Maria Morris to kind of get their takes on it, um, to sort of see what a good launching pad for us, for us would be. And that's kind of how we came up collaboratively with this effort that we've put together and collecting stories, um, not just from um, people of color, but also from white people that have experienced or not necessarily experienced, but witnessed these injustices happening in the theater world. Uh, I have a friend that actually was a casting director for a theater in Dallas for almost a decade. And she actually left the theater because of racism. And so I, I had also reached out to her. So anyway, this all seemed to kind of fit naturally into what's happening in our specific industry in terms of racism and there's a lot of things that happen that maybe you don't realize are happening or that maybe you don't realize especially as a white person that what you're doing is insensitive so i think that it's important for us to try to collect these stories so that we can take them and identify the issues and then figure out what we need to do to fix them um, my name is danielle bunch um an actor and director, educator. Um, I used to teach exclusively theater and dance within Fort Bend. Um, I live in San Diego now and I've actually been teaching ESL to international students, but I developed um, some theater courses for them and it's been really, really interesting <laughs> to say the least. Um, but within my Houston theater experience, um, Firecracker has always been a, a place I could call home, always been very welcoming and, and good to me. So it was very, again, easy 
no-brainer to to assist. And Sammy and I have a shared vision of what we think needs to happen within not just the Houston theater community, but throughout, because it's not an isolated problem at all. So um, I will, I'm going to speak on what Sammy said as far as the insensitivities go first, because, you know, I'm one of these believers and I'll be transparent that I think the society's getting to be too sensitive, right? Not, not with this situation at all, but I mean, just in general, you never know what's going to offend somebody. And, you know, I could be eating an apple and somebody might respond with, you know, my dad choked on an apple and died. And so it, it makes me, it's very sensitive to me. You know, you know, you just never, ever know. So you have to be, um, sometimes like I, I raise my daughters to be strong, you know, to, to, to be, uh, to kind of put some things in the back of, of their minds and, and not think too much about it. That said, um, with the, and, it, and it's, it's not just Floyd, it's, it's even before that, that it, it starts to slowly eat away at you and uh, makes you understand that it's not even just about sensitivity anymore. It's just about right and wrong. So uh, it's, it becomes a bigger issue than that. Uh, one thing that happened with sensitivity, and I, I want to mention it because it's my platform and I can, uh, a couple of days ago, somebody in a group chat, and I'm not going to, to name names or, or anything like that, but posted a meme, put a meme in the group chat. And this is a group chat of 30 people, maybe, in, uh, uh, on our phones. And so I found it to be offensive, and so did some other people. And I spoke up, and I even left the group chat and said and told some other people, I just need a break. Like, that just was It's not the time, not the place. It's not even political. Uh, it is not a political topic at all. Say what you will about why we're here, and I think the three of us might agree Partially, there's a catalyst that's happening in certain places that is political, but life and death is not a political situation. Uh, it is just the right of a human. Um, so in theater, let's say, where, where do we go? <laughs> I mean, like, 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 what do we do now? You know, cause there are, there are shows for instance, that, poke fun at things. And as a Jewish man, you know, I, I, we're raised, comedy is just in our blood, right? It's just kind of a stereotype of Jews uh, that, and even that right there, boom, the word Jews is like, my aunt would find that to be offensive. So anyway, um, but we're raised to be, to, to be known as, as funny people. Uh, and it stopped at me, but uh, that, that, that is poked fun at in shows, right? So it's the same with almost every ethnicity. Uh, I mean, j just look at, um, like once on this Island, I was thinking about that a couple days ago. There are jokes in there about being a, a, a African, um, you know, person, not an African American, just a, a tribal African. Um, and they may, and they poke fun at things like that. What do we see now? What, what, where does it go? Do we get rid of that stuff? Do we change some of the narrative? What, what happens? Definitely not get rid of it. I think, yeah, as a any any person of of color, anyone who belongs to an identity that has experienced extreme atrocities, I mean, there's there's a certain amount of laughter to keep from crying. It's what keeps you going. I would hate to see something like you know, once on this island, 
you know, be cut or like the colored museum be cut. No, that's, that's satire and it's, it's cathartic for the people it needs to be cathartic for. So I definitely don't think we need to omit anything. I do think that we need to have the right people in the room to deal with these sensitive jokes and topics though. I think that's where the theater gets it wrong. Um, and it makes me think of the Griffin Matthews, um, you know, expose of what he went through with Invisible Thread now called, you know, Witness Uganda of, that was his own work. And that wasn't a sensitivity issue. It was literally taken from him, like his ideas and things like that. And whatever catharsis that was within the play, because I haven't actually, you know, seen it, but it sounds like it was co-opted. So I think there's a fine line between something that is is needed for release and then something that is used improperly. So do you think, do you think, you know, now we have um, intimacy directors, like, you know, people that come mm -hmm. in and train, do you think that that's another, not intimacy directors, but like a sensitivity or, or, uh, you know, this, this is comparing kind of apples to oranges, but you know, on great as anatomy, right, for instance, but I, yeah, I get what yeah, you're saying. but you know, you yeah, have a, no, you have a person that comes in and says, here are the medical mm -hmm. terms. Do, do you mm -hmm. have now a specialist or a director that comes in and says, here's, here's where it's appropriate and here's where it's not? I think so. Um, I don't know if you follow her, but um, I think her name is Ayana Charity. Uh, and, you know, she posted something recently about like what white theater makers can do for people of color in the industry. And yeah, they're, if you're putting on a show that you do not have the experiences of that culture, when it is a cult uh, culturally sensitive show, I definitely think you need to bring in paid experts to you know coach you through it doesn't mean that you have to give up the rights to that show but it definitely means that you're not going to have the same understanding of the nuances of those jokes or you know what it is that the the actions of those characters and whatnot just because your experience is not going to relate so i i would love to see diversity coaches enter production spaces and possibly stay throughout depending on the show. I, I agree with that. I think even further, there needs to be diversity reflected in whoever is putting on the show in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah, it's a great thing to bring in a diversity director if that's you know what we're going to call it. But how about if you're doing a show like that, you make sure that your co-director or your producer or mm -hmm. someone actually on the creative team is able to identify with those issues, with that culture, whatever it is. As an educator, I'll, I'll give you an example with Neil Simon. There's a lot of stuff in some of his shows that I personally would not do, you know, in terms of like racist jokes. Um, however, he is still widely regarded as like one of the greatest American playwrights. Um, definitely of the 20th century, you know? And we did one of his shows when I was teaching at a different high school and it, that came up as we were in a read through and we kind of read through these few lines of dialogue and the whole room kind of got quiet and we were like, I don't know if I wanna say that. So I think that, yes, we need to have people in the room that understand, but then we also need to start thinking about, do we really need to do another Neil Simon line? 
Do we need to do these plays that have these racist undertones written by these people that may or may not have been racist? Is that really what we want to do? And I think the conversation has to go that direction also, you know? Yeah. What's the intention? What's the, what's the reason that this person put this work out there? Uh, one of my favorite shows and I was discussing it yesterday, actually with some former students, uh, is ragtime. And, uh, I know like my wife did it when she was teaching in high school and they say the N word once and it's powerful. And it's like, it's like a moment in the show where it's supposed to make you kind of uncomfortable, but also, uh, uh, but also it drives a point, you know, um, that said, like if I, we were going to do it at Dulles a few, couple years ago, damn you Raven for going to Atlanta <laughs> during that time. But anyway, um, I digress, but, uh, and, and I was going to use the lyric that I helped her kind of put together and it took the N word out, but it still drove the point, uh, of, of what needed to be said. And that's the kind of stuff though, that, you know, you, again, you as a director have to figure it out. So I'm going to, I'm going to switch it a little bit. And I know at the before we got on the mic recording, I mentioned, or oh no, actually I was recording. I don't even remember. I've been drinking a lot, you know, during quarantine. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's not a political issue, right? However, there are people that think it is, right? That they they're they're either too removed from it, or they are too ignorant, or something is disconnected with why they think this is tied to politics uh ultimately tied to politics now again like i said there is an element that maybe somebody has opened the door a little bit cracked the door and now all these people can push through uh there is an element of that however what do you say or how do you deal with certain areas and danielle i don't know what it's like necessarily i've been to san diego but i think it's a little different there than maybe what Sammy and I are dealing with in this part of the country, but how do you remove, Hey, this isn't political. Like we're, it's, it's not anything at all. And I'll get into something else in a couple minutes, but Danielle, I see you lighten up. So <laughs> go ahead. That's not a California <laughs> joke, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I, I, look, I do not claim this place. I am here for, <laughs> because I have to be, um, although I do love it, but no, it is, it is interesting because I think it's very easy to just assume, which is an assumption that a very, you know, the theater is a very liberal, open-minded environment. And so people think California and they think the same thing. And, you know, it's, it's <laughs> the, those pictures you saw on the news regarding, you know, like the guy in the bonds grocery store with the KKK hood, that's 15 minutes down the road for me. So you, you definitely have to take a step back and then recognize that it's not about a region. It's not about an industry. This is everywhere. So as far as tackling, you know, how to make people see that this is not a political issue, I honestly don't know that you can because I feel like the people who have doubled down and that this is a, you know, us versus cops or a, you know, everyone versus America thing, you are so far removed from the humanity of this situation of any racial situation, I don't know how to break through. And quite frankly, I don't know that I want to, I don't think that's my calling. I don't know that I would have the the, the will, the words, um, but I do think 
that if you are going to try, because it's not going to be me, so if someone else is going to try to reach those people, it would have to start at home. It has to start amongst your own friends and family holding that person or those people accountable. I'm not going to get through to them because if you can't look at the news and recognize that this is the original sin of this country and we have yet to reconcile with it, then you're definitely not going to listen to me. Um, so if it's not coming from your loved ones, I honestly don't know that I could teach you that this is not political because it's just not. There's nothing about it that's political. I would not want anyone in my life or, or hell, a stranger to go through any of the things that we've seen on TV from the protesters peacefully protesting, getting attacked to what happened to George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or, you know, Nina Pop. We can go on and on and on and on. And I, if you can't get that, then I just, <laughs> I don't know. You know, as, as a white woman with fairly conservative family members, I see it on social media all the time, you know, people saying, well, you can't change people's minds. And although I, I think that's true to a certain extent, I think you have to look at it as a white person you have to look at it differently and you have to look at it not as changing someone's minds, but helping them understand the other perspective. Um, I've been posting a lot on my various social media platforms about what's going on right now. And I posted something or I reposted something that said, you know, imagine killing someone at your job and the consequences you get fired. And my, my cousin actually reached out to me and was like, you know, not that I was an all lives matter person before, but like that message in particular really hit home for me. And like, that was the message that made me really look at it differently. And so mm -hmm. I think that's something that white people need to take responsibility for. And we, we can't just, you can't just say, oh, well, my family's conservative, so they're not going to get it. Because I don't really think that's what it is. Because again, we're sitting here talking about how it's not political. Like saying that you should care about black people is not a political statement. Right. And I've seen it on my Facebook. Like I have conservative friends mm -hmm. that are still in support of what's going on right now. You know what I mean? Because it's not political. And so mm -hmm. I think white people need to be better about identifying these things close to home. I mean, like you mm -hmm. were saying, Danielle, we need, it starts with us and it starts with our families. So. So one thing I'll throw in there and maybe I'll get fired for this, but our district sent out a uh, email a couple of days ago that pretty much told our principals to tell those people in charge of any social media account to remind them not to be political on the account. Right. And then send out an email to the people that are running those uh, social media accounts if they feel something is political to take it down. So, for instance, somebody we all know that works at another school that I will not mention because I don't want that person to get in any trouble. Um, not Destiny, who who we mentioned <laughs> earlier, but it's, it's a, di a, a, a different director. But anyway, we both got emails. And the only thing that was posted over the last month or so that could have been in, construed as political was the black square. And so my response, which I thought was really well written, thank you, Angelo State University master's degree, uh, <laughs> was that Black Lives Matter is not political. It is, it is the same 
type of thing, and I'm stealing this from Melanie Burke, who who we all know, but I, it is the same idea of promoting a Black History show. Like it's it's promoting culture and uh, just in this case, yes, civil rights, but again, that's still not political. It's just can can a black person live uh, without being you know fear, fearing the cops? Uh, and if you think that that's political then maybe you uh, have a problem with how policemen and police women do their jobs. I mean, because sure, they're regulated. Some of them, some forces are regulated by the government. So here we go. It's it's political. But uh, I, we, we have since been trying to fight this stigma that, that it is. Uh, I don't know what you're looking at, Sammy. But <laughs> I, I really, really think my dog just walked in here and uh-huh. parted and oh. then walked out. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> okay. it smells really bad. That's uh, that's a. I mean, hey, it happens to the best of us. I got two dogs that like to. Uh, what's there's a, a what's it called? There's like a there's a bomb term for that. Like a anyway, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry. Anyway, I'm just, sorry. It's <laughs> pretty funny though. Uh, but my point is, 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 and I, we keep beating this, this horse, but, uh, and I, I get it, you know, everybody's going to be tired of hearing that, but, um, so I'll switch the topic. So question still relating it to education, but now, or to theater, but putting it in the education world, since we're all educators, uh, where do we go in the classroom? Where, where does somebody go now? Because, you know, we, we have all taught, uh, and, and, Danielle, I don't know what you current who you currently teach necessarily. I know you said it's uh, uh, kind of a overseas it's, type thing, but it's really interesting because they're um, they're all international students. We have like over forty countries represented, but oh, wow. um, some of those countries are conflict countries. Yeah. So you know, we we I would approach in the same way I would approach I do approach in the same way I approach my students of any color and uh, how I would have wanted to been approached myself growing up, which didn't always happen, which is what I think has happened within the last couple of weeks of people realizing that, Hey, if you are tired of hearing about racism in any way, think about the people who have to experience it. So you do have to consider what your students are going through because on top of your homework, whatever sports activities you have, your extracurriculars, getting into college, whatever pressures that you may have that are just normal and a part of that age group, you also just have the the I'm black things that you've got to deal with, right. which, you know, I I have always kind of been conscious of like, when I enter a building, you know, like what face am I making so that if I'm on camera, you know, like, am I, am I thinking, do I look like a cheery person, you know, while I'm shopping, I try not to touch things so that I, I, it doesn't seem as if the big bag I've got on my shoulder, it's going this way, you know, like those kind of constant monologues that you have in your head are going on for your students who are different than you. So if you're not being sensitive to that, it's kind of hard to break through with whatever subject you're teaching. Sure. So this isn't the original question, but you you made me think of something else. Do you are do you are you allotted time since it is virtual or uh, you know through the the web? Are you allotted time to build relationships with those students? Well, we had a classroom actually. So like we, we it's a like a little mini college campus. It's a really lovely building, but uh, we're only virtual now. So like I know my students very, very well. Unfortunately, 
they all had to fly home before borders uh, closed. So it was a brick and mortar. COVID. Oh, okay. So yeah. Okay. So no, we were actually face to face in person teaching. But you know, have all of them reached out to me? Whether it's Turkey, France, Portugal, to make sure that I'm okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because they also, I mean, when you're building rapport with your students, they're going to give it back. So they recognize that I was a black teacher in San Diego that is now watching protests happen on TV and bless their hearts, their broken English are like, teacher, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. thank you for checking. So yeah, it's, it's important and it works both ways. Just like they teach us with anything, you got to have that rapport. So do we go to, so going back to, and that was all great. Like I, I appreciate all that, but going back to what I was originally asking, uh, and I, I'm the one that sidetracked myself, so no, no offense <laughs> to you. Uh, but going back to what I was originally asking about the, the, the classroom and going into a classroom that is, you know, we all teach, <clears throat> I think the three of us are relationship teachers as well. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're all about building that relationship. We're, we're not necessarily core curriculum people, not to say that they don't, but they don't. Uh, but anyway, they, uh, <laughs> but with the relationship element thing, does that change now? Does, you know, I, I'm very, um, I can be very offensive, right? Like it's just kind of my nature, but it, but everybody knows that I don't genuinely mean what I'm saying. However, I was thinking about this yesterday. I might have to change some of that because it just, it's just become now, even if they know it is not coming from a negative and dark place, it's still not right. It's not, it's not appropriate. Um, uh, you know, I can, I can continue to maybe make my Jewish jokes, but that's where maybe the line has to get drawn. So anyway. And, and you know what, possibly, um, you know, we're no one, no one group is a monolith. So I personally don't get offended by like, it takes a lot to offend me. So if I were your student, I'd be like, whatever, minor, and just go about my day. That doesn't mean that somebody else is going to have that, you know, same feeling. So yeah, as, as far as like making sure that everyone in that classroom is comfortable, then yeah, maybe that's the line that has to be drawn. Um, I do think there is something to come from rapport and knowing when someone can make that joke and when someone can't, there's a very big difference, a very clear difference. And we've kind of seen that play out in the news uh, recently, but yeah, if you don't already have that connection, you're not allowed to make the joke. Well, and for me, I I try to stay away from, you know, being funny and like making jokes that could be construed the wrong way because there could be that one kid in your class that doesn't think it's funny, right? Or there could be that one kid who usually thinks you're funny, but they're having a bad day and today mm -hmm. it hit kind of close to home. Yep. You know what I mean? So I just, I personally would rather err on the side of caution um, just because, and, and I've experienced it where mm -hmm. I made a joke. I thought that the student got the joke. We all laughed about it. And the next day I was in my principal's office. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that, that taught me my lesson that you never know. You never know how someone is feeling on any given day or maybe they're going to go and repeat the joke to someone else mm -hmm. that's not going to find it funny and it still comes back to you. So I, I live by just 
avoiding that, <laughs> which is totally fair. And if nothing else, you're guaranteed a safe environment for you and the students. So I know we're going all over the place right now, but coming back to the professional side of things, so the firecracker side of things, um, this couldn't have, I mean, there's never a good time for uh, protests, you know, um, or or any of this kind of situation, but coming in the middle of a pandemic or maybe towards the end, I don't know. Nobody really knows. Uh, where does, where do you start as a production company, as, as, as a theater company, where do you start again? Where do you, or restart? Where do you get, you know, where do you, uh, do you immediately go out? Cause firecrackers not doing, um, well, they're not doing Neil Simon, but they're not doing, <laughs> you know, they're not, they're not doing the kind of vanilla plays, right. Uh, that are just kind of surface yeah. level, uh, they have a deeper meaning, right? You know, some of this, you have to actually think at some of those plays. So uh, right. well, where do you that's, go? That's part of our mission is yeah. doing plays that encourage dialogue. Um, and with the pandemic, you know, we're sort of in the same boat as a lot of other companies in, in Houston that we don't have our own space. So we're kind of at the mercy of people that do have spaces. So this has sort of always been something we've dealt with, but we had actually started putting together a original virtual play that was going to be love stories. Um, and our whole you know, idea behind it was how do people connect when they aren't in person and that kind of thing. And, and then when, when this happened, I was like, no, we, we got to change gears. If we're going <laughs> to do this, I mean, like if we're going to, if we're going to put the time and the energy in to doing something that is meaningful, why don't we do something that's meaningful right now? Um, so that's where this idea was born. And through talking with Danielle and Anna and then Destiny actually put a seed in my head because originally when I reached out to these women, I was like, what, this is kind of what I'm thinking. Am I on the right track? Um, and Destiny actually pointed out to me, you know, it'd be interesting to hear when white people have witnessed racism happening in front of them. And she said that, and I was like, wow, that's, that's really good. Yeah, like what's your reaction? It immediately, yeah, like it immediately made me think of of something that had happened in in my life. Um, and it's it's the first story that's shared on our little anonymous document that that we're putting out into the universe. But that was a really interesting perspective. And I was like, that's really good because that holds people accountable, which is what we're <laughs> we're going for with this project. Yeah. Does did you did you cower or did you step up and and say right. something about it? Sure. I, it's, well, not even just that, but my story was about me. It was about something that I had done that I didn't even think about. Yeah. And it didn't true. occur to me that it could be misconstrued until someone said, like, "Well, when have you recognized racism? Like, when have you seen it?" And I thought about this thing that happened to me, and I was like, "Wow, that was me. Like, I did that, and I consider myself a pretty woke person." Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And so that's why I was like, well, if I can fuck up, can I cuss? Sorry, you can. Sorry. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think like, my kids are listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if that could happen to me, it has to have happened to other people. Yeah, sure. No, and it's, so there's, there's really no has good. to, it, it, it has, I mean, right. every, yeah. and I'll, I'll boldly say that practically every white person has done something unintentionally racist mm -hmm. sure. a, a lot and and sure. you know it's it's 
it's it's just a thing that that has to have happened as as a jew uh you know and i i i always talk about it but it is part of what uh defines <laughs> me yeah. yeah uh and also i'm not like maybe i'm wrong i'm not the stereotypically looking i don't look jewish necessarily uh, it's, eh. uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> sitting here twirling my payas but um uh but i i have had because when i was in school when i like i went to welch middle school and before that i was in elementary as one of two jewish people in the whole school and so we were like uh it, it was like we were these 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 clowns of some sort that's a bad way of saying it, but you know, we, we stood out. In other words, there's me and a girl, Lindsay, who I'm still, our families are very, very close, but we were two, the two Jewish kids in a leaf, you know, like not, no other Jewish kids existed. <laughs> I think, I don't know, maybe they did, but, um, but in our little area. So it was always, I never felt like something negative was happening, happening to me. But I always felt different um, in that time of my life, and that, and that's a very influential time when you're you know six to ten years old. It mm-hmm. shapes you a little bit. But then I got to Welch Middle School, and you know Beyonce went there, so uh, that was my you know <laughs> we were cool, uh, Hove. Um, <laughs> but up until that time, it was I, I understood what it was like to be kind of singled out for something that I had no control over. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was born this way. Um, like Lady Gaga. So, uh, I, I just, that's what I keep holding on to as far as how I relate to kind of this situation, even though I know a hundred percent that I was totally privileged and, uh, being raised and, and I was raised by a salesman and a, and a, and a teacher. So it wasn't like I was just Scrooge McDuck rolling in a, in a vault of coins, but I, I, I know for sure when I asked for a toy, I got it, you know, and that kind of stuff. Right. So um, I fully am aware of that. But my parents didn't raise me to necessarily be sensitive to other people's potential. Uh, uh, I don't even know the word I'm looking for, but they, they didn't raise me to be a super sensitive person. Um, and, and so for that, I'm gr- like at 38 years old this type of situation is teaching me how to be sensitive. I guess it's never too late. Uh, Melanie said that to me as well. Melanie's so wise, you know. I swear. <laughs> I go to her for everything. Even though she's, she's my, only... She's my grandmother, Willow. Yeah, even though she's only 22 years old, she's so wise. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, that was a long explanation, Sammy, of what I was mentioning about what you said. We've all done it. And, and, um, I don't know how that stops. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, because, because sometimes you're not aware. You're just, you, you literally, I could say right now, like, man, I'm, I can't wait to turn on the air conditioning. And, uh, that might, and I know that's not any reminder for anybody, but I'm just saying, you know, you really, sometimes you, it's just very unfortunate sometimes, but yeah, go ahead, Daniel. There is a difference between intent and impact. And I think that's, I don't know that you will ever be able to stop the, the, the mistakes. And that's the beauty of anti-racism work where it's an ongoing practice for everybody, including myself as a black woman. Like it is a, it is a constant active practice, but there's a big difference between the intention of what you said and the impact. So if the intention 
was, you know, completely not meant to, to offend, but the impact was offensive, then that's when, you know, those genuine, not these like PR stated apologies, Drew Brees, but like, you know, that's when an actual apology comes in. And again, to go back to rapport, if I already have a connection with you and I, you know, have told you like, hey, I didn't like how that made me feel or think about what you said, it shouldn't be construed as a like, whoa, how dare you? No, because you already care about me and I'm letting you know, like in the future, just don't do this. Then you move on. So I mean, it really can be as simple as that. So you mentioned him, um, big old <laughs> young breezy, uh, if you will. But uh, so I have a I have a theory and, and it's not about Drew Brees, but it has to do with the social media side of things, because really um, nothing would have happened as far as Drew Brees is concerned, if social media wasn't really running around because he was interviewed on a social media, you know, was, so I, I'm one of these people and I've seen this right now, uh, that people are saying, if you haven't spoken up about black lives matter, I'm going to delete you from my friends list or get rid of you and this and this and that I'm, I'm a believer in the opposite because if you do that, you're, you're starting to, uh, cut the fat away and that fat may need to be turned into something leaner if that makes sense and and so uh, you know going back to what we discussed about 20 minutes ago or whatever about seeing something on social media sammy's cousin uh well if let's say if sammy's cousin was one of those people that never spoke up and she decided she wanted to cut ties with the cousin at least on social media not familial then that person would never have seen Sammy's post or uh, been influenced by something that Sammy said. And now we've, we have done ourselves a disservice by cutting out somebody that we might want to help progress and become more woke, if you will, or educated in the, in the situation. What are your, Danielle, I, I see you lighten up <laughs> again. <laughs> I, I, I think that goes to kind of what I mentioned earlier, just about myself it's not necessarily my place to, to educate every person because, um, you know, just to bring in a mental health perspective, it's been a long, long week, long two weeks, long 30 days, long 70 something days of quarantine, long 30 years of life. So as much as I can understand wanting that dialogue, again, I think that's where it needs to happen at home because I think the difference between Sammy's cousin seeing Sammy post it and then seeing, you know, like me post it, I'm going to sound like angry black woman potentially. You don't know, like that person doesn't know me. They don't have that connection, whatever. So they can very easily roll their eyes, keep it moving. It's because it was someone they know, they love, they trust that put up that analogy that finally like, bing, had that aha moment for them. That's important. So personally, and I know I, I did a, a huge clean house um, about like four or five years ago of people just, just out here saying some just very just bold, <laughs> for lack of a better word, just shit. And for me, social media is where I go to blow off steam. So for, for me, I was like, you know what? I would rather have a safe space where I can just like go look at memes of astrology and like kiki with my friends then and remind myself that the outside world is awful then have to come on here and see the awful like just being very blatantly thrown out there as if they don't know and love and care about me or so they say 
So that education, again, I think has to come from home to a certain extent. If someone else of color or any identity wants to educate someone, I'll, I'll tell, I give everyone one try after that, I'm done. But that's me. Sammy, you got anything? I got to close the door because my dog just walked in. I don't want him to fart. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to say, um, my husband and I just had a conversation about this last night because he has social media accounts, but he he's not really very active on social media. Um, he's much more of a, like, actually, he actually calls his friends, um, unlike me. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> so we had this conversation last night and I was like, you know, you might want to just like post one thing, like just go in there and post one thing. Because there's a lot of people that are very upset and they're very emotional right now. And, you know, he was like, my friends know me and they absolutely do. Like my husband grew up in Ailey's and has an incredibly diverse community of friends and they do, they do know him. And I'm sure that they can safely assume that he stands with them. Right. But I said, you know, but it's different when you actually just one thing, like when you just put one message out there into the universe for more than just your friends to see that really helps kind of drive the point and that keeps it moving. So I I don't necessarily think that people should be berated or viewed negatively for not saying anything, Um, but I do think that something is better than nothing. There's definitely a, uh, like, there's definitely something to be said as far as, like, I, I, I know I could, I could go to a, a, a peaceful protest, but it's more difficult for me, you know, just logistically with kids and that kind of stuff to, to do something like that. Uh, plus, I'm not going to lie, I, I am fearful, or maybe not now, I think they're getting more and more peaceful, uh, but I, I'm fearful of just the people that are there just to incite, and then what happens to me and if I take Ava, uh, who is old enough to understand what's happening then something might happen to my kids. So I've avoided that, but my way of peaceful protesting, did you hear that? (laughs) Something just happened on the other side of this wall, but (laughs) sorry, but my way of peaceful protesting is social media. And that's, and I think that, you know, if you, if you, uh, not to say drown out, I I don't, that's a negative way of saying it, but if you flood, I guess, if you will, the, the world of social media with, anything. I mean, we've seen that with Twitter, with hashtag Black Lives Matter, hashtag anything, uh, then it becomes, you become aware to it. Um, so Every lane I, is important. Every lane yeah. is important and needed right now. So the, as long as you're doing something, I think that's what matters the most, whether it's, you know, phone banking, emails, you know, checking your own registration to vote, social media, or if you're on the front lines and feel it necessary to you know, hold that sign and, and get in someone's face or whatnot. It's all necessary and it's clearly all working. We're slowly seeing things change. So I have a tough question that can't be answered necessarily, but at least we can start a dialogue. How does, how and where does this end? I think reform <laughs> yeah. is, is a big part of it, not just uh, in terms of like, police force and tactics, but the criminal justice system, like as a whole, needs to see a lot of reform happen. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that training people to be able to have open dialogues and 
to surround themselves with people that will hold them accountable and then to be the person that holds someone else accountable. I think that's a big part of it is like Danielle was saying earlier, you know, I, I don't know that there is an end. Um, someone is always going to incidentally unintentionally say something right. But to be surrounded by people that are going to call you out for it and hold you accountable for it is important. So mm -hmm. making sure that you are surrounding yourself with those people to be able to do that. I think when it comes to our institutions, um, businesses, brands, the theater included, it will start with transparency in leadership and people to be vulnerable enough to say like, uh, you know, this is who I'm employing. This is what we're going to do from now on. This is what we're putting into place and being very vocal about that. Just being transparent. When I agree with Sammy, when it comes to you know, our everyday life and what impacts us, which is really what matters, you know, it's holding the people in your circles accountable and making sure they understand the why. Um, yeah, I don't know that it ever will come to an end, at least not in, I don't believe in our lifetime. Um, and unfortunately, like, again, it's just a kind of an evil that like, do you, how do you, how do you stop it? I don't, I don't know. But there are definitely things that we can do in holding each other accountable and holding our institutions accountable and demanding change from representatives and anyone at all in a position of power to just be more inclusive. It's just the right thing to do. So you know, Danielle mentioned transparency, and I think that as the owner of a nonprofit organization that's so important and that's something yeah. that Danielle and I talked about and whenever you fill out grant applications you have to put your demographics on all these applications yep. and somehow those those demographics don't seem to be really actually represented i love that you know all all the theaters have said something at this point i think they've put out a statement mm -hmm. um stages i don't know if either of these guys saw this with their statement they actually put out a picture of every person that, that works in their organization. I did not, and that's lovely. So you can actually like see who is behind these words and you're able to kind of make that determination for yourself. Whereas on the, the other side of that coin, there's a theater that put out a statement and someone commented on one of their, their posts that said, well, you're run by white guys. So what are you doing to actually change this? And their comment was deleted. Oh, so, I did not see that. Yeah. Because huh. it was deleted. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think transparency Interesting. is huge. And I think that there's a certain level, you know, again, as a, as a white person, I think there's a certain level of like, well, if I'm transparent, people are going to hate me and people are going to judge me. And maybe there's a reason that we don't have very many black people on our board or in our shows or whatever. And that's fine, but no one knows those things if you're not transparent about it, right? Like I can tell right. you right now that the group chat for Firecracker um, at this point is me and two other white people, you know what I mean? And we work with a lot of other people, obviously, um, but that's something that I've had to think of for myself because we relied so much on networking and mm -hmm. on reaching out to people like Danielle and Anna Maria and Destiny and Melanie about send us people, like send people to us, right? But we need to do something different, obviously. 
because when I look inward and when I look at Firecracker and when I look at the people that are in her shows, we did a show last summer, it was entirely white people. You know what I mean? And so looking inward, I know that we have to, we have to figure out a different tactic. We've got to do something different moving forward because what we're doing right now isn't enough. So, so I think having that transparency is important. Yeah. I guess that uh, then I have a question about, um, colorblind casting because there's, you know, there, there are, do you choose a show that shows, uh, a, a variety of backgrounds and ethnicities, or do you choose a show that you want to do that? You just, you just like the show, but you colorblind cast or do you do both? Um, you do both. yeah. Okay. Um, I think you do both. So there's I think a colorblind there's a time- casting is a loaded word. Oh, totally. Term. Well, but I mean, you know, you, you know you're not going like to changing in meaning. You're not mm-hmm. choosing a raisin sure. in the sun and doing colorblind casting. I mean, like right. you know, you have well, to have, of course. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I mean, if you let's say you go to the Neil Simon, uh, does yeah. it make Neil Simon plays more impactful if you have colorblind casting because of some of the content that is in his scripts that mm-hmm. imply or are just straightforward? you know, racist. Um, I think it can, but personally, and this is just my aesthetic as an artist, I enjoy new works just because there are so many artists who are very actively working to make intersectional work that is not just related to race, but also to gender and sexuality and, and any kind of, you know, identity that, if you're, if you're strewing or not strewing, goodness, this, is that even a word? If you're uh, steering away from the classics, you're going to naturally find yourself in a situation where you can more freely cast and, and more freely create more meaningful dialogue anyway, because it's to me, not even worth trying to figure out like who Neil Simon was as a person to even have written some of the things that he's written and there is some definite some shit in there but i would rather just go to you know this new artist who is up and coming this new playwright and i really like their work and i can just throw in whoever is the best uh in the auditions because you know something else that i saw that ayana charity had said was you know when you put open casting do you actually mean it because a lot of these companies are, are saying that, yeah, they'll colorblind cast, but I can, you know, I already know who exactly is going to be in there. And if there is a person of color, there's going to be the same person that they used from the last, you know, show. So why do I waste my time getting up on a Saturday morning, fix my hair, fix my makeup, go to this audition that I know you're not genuinely considering for? There's something Mark brought up the other day also is that when... Uh, casting directors are handed the, you know, character breakdown or the storyboard. Storyboard is in color. And Mm -hmm. if the storyboard for this commercial or project or whatever it is, is all white people, guess who's going to get cast? Mm -hmm. You know, and and so I don't know if that's intentional or not. I like to think it isn't, you know, but that's something that has to change and that that changes within the organization, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, ladies, uh, I think we've done a good job <laughs> personally, <laughs> uh, you know, just, that's just me. I'm just egotistical in that way. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you guys have any, any kind of closing comments or, 
things that you want to say to kind of wrap this up. Um, I'm going to let you guys have the floor. Uh, I'll, I'll go first. I think um, when it comes to Houston theater, all theaters, whether or not they've made a statement, I think that word transparency just kind of keeps playing in my head as well. Um, there's a challenge going on right now on social media called hashtag pull up or shut up where people are actually listing the demographics of who was on their leadership board. I would be very interested to see how many women, how many people of color, how many people of different orientations and et cetera, um, just so that we can see. And personally, I'm not going to hold it against anyone. I'm very much in this time willing to be a guide and willing to educate and just move forward. But I'm also very curious to know what have you been working with or like what currently exists. And I think in that transparency and honesty, a relationship between that organization and the community can truly be formed for the better moving forward. So that's something that I would sincerely hope that people consider doing. And as far as the theater world goes, I really hope that people do fill out our um, Google Doc for this initiative because I'm seeing it as a help us help you. You know, from the stories that have already started to pour in, it's like, oh, we can we can find a way to fix that. We can bring tools forward for someone to never, you know, make this mistake again. So I really hope that people are actually going to make tangible, actionable tasks <laughs> to, you know, hold as a goal to complete and not just saying words. Yeah. Yeah, we are, Danielle and I are starting to plan and organize a town hall of sorts where we can connect with the other arts leaders and um, share some of these stories anonymously and make actual concrete plans, take the steps that we need to take to, to fix it and to continue to hold ourselves accountable. Um, but that, that works best when we have the stories and that works best when we have the knowledge because like we've said you know, throughout this, this whole interview, a lot of the time you don't even realize it. You don't even realize it's mm -hmm. happening or that you're doing anything, you know, um, as a white person. So we need people to tell us their stories and to, to share those experiences with us so that we can use it and so that we can fix it and not let it happen anymore. So I will post uh, the Google Doc for you guys um, in, in kind of the, the detail element of this podcast but uh is there a place that they can find it right now that's somewhat accessible or yeah you can go to tinyurl.com slash f p b l m okay f p b l m yes can you do that in greek letters like alpha no f as in firecracker <laughs> p as in productions b as in black l as in lives m as in, in matters yes good <laughs> very good that's not Greek, but that's good. Thank you. <laughs> well, ladies, thank you very, very much. Uh, I appreciate it. I think others appreciate it too. I think, you know, this is just unfortunately kind of the beginning and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, you got to start somewhere. So, uh, yes. I want to thank the two of you for coming on Sammy. Thanks for coming again. I guess that's a good thing that you're like trusting me to, <laughs> to do this again. So and you still haven't asked my husband at all. So I feel really special. True. I, or Melanie. So anyway, <laughs> so, so on that note, 